Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. I'm going to start by going to page 45 of this book right here, a little notebook. Uh, we're jumping in the middle of something. Uh, we're going to be looking on page 45 right here. This is called The Watergate. Uh, they've excavated it, and what, I, what I'm trying to do right now, we're, we're still working from right here, we're still working down this line right here, but I want to point this out because we're going to say the word gate, we're going to be talking about gates, and... Uh, you know, in, in my mind, you know, a gate is, you know, you got a little hole in the wall, and a door swings open, you go in, then you shut the gate, and then you put a bar down, and it's shut. The gates, uh, at this time, they would have chambers. You w- it wouldn't just be a wall like this with a hole in the wall with some kind of a swinging door or a dropping gate or something. It would actually have chambers. You'd come in to the, 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 the gate would be something like this, because you know in the Bible they talk about uh, sitting in the gates. You know, you know the, the leaders would go and meet in the gates. And there would be like chambers, if this makes sense, I'm looking at it from the top down. And so you would come in this way, and there would be places to go into here. And there would be benches in here. Uh, you could have, maybe you'd have like a, a place to meet. You'd have a place to store, in this case, water. And what you're looking at right here on page 45, is a gate. It's been excavated. It's on the offal. It's right, like I say, it, it's right here. This, this water gate is right here. Today, it's, it comes down. The, the city walls are cutting right across there. And there's a straight wall right here. So if you look at this straight wall here and this gate, you're looking at this right here. And so within that, you can see the white line, the little dotted line. That would be, for example, coming in from the outside on this side, and I should draw something a little closer to what we've got, if I, if I can here. You've got the straight wall coming in like this, and then you're going to have a tower coming out, and in that tower, you're going to have a place to enter right here. You're going to turn and go through the gate. There's going to be chambers right here. And in this, this particular case, there's two chambers they're, they're going to be marked C. If you look at the picture, I'm standing, I've walked in there, and you can see the white line up at the top of the photograph. You're coming in and then turning and going between the C's. Those C's are chambers of the gate, and then where it says W right there, that is where they had water jars. They found water jars stored there. They're expecting, they've been expecting for many years to find a cistern underneath here. Uh, and if you look down at the picture, the drawing, uh, you can see that same white line of where I'm walking in right there, that white line. You can see it going through that system. Now, in this particular gate, there's a tower outside of it. And there are also, you can see in the photograph, the pithoi jars. They're like large storage jars. You can see them sitting there. Those are uh, uh, replicas. The real ones were taken into a museum. I saw the real ones at a place down in Oklahoma City uh, in 2012. Uh, some of them, Eliot Mazur excavated them, and they took them down there. And those would be places where they would store wine or oil or grain in those. And those were from Hezekiah's day when they were preparing for the Assyrian uh, invasion. But that's, that's an example of a gate that is mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. But I want you to see that when you talk about a gate, when some, someone's going to build a gate, they're not just putting a hole in the wall and putting a door that's going to swing open. It would be fortified, and many times it's going to have a, a tower. See, the tower is outside the gate. The gate here is actually, the gate is actually right here. The chambers would be, 
if, if this is making sense. These are the seas right here, the chambers. And then outside, you'd come into the tower and then go into the gate to enter the city. So to, to invade here, you'd have to break through the tower, break through the gates, and this is all defended. Now, in the excavation, just off subject, there is a royal building up here. They found several things to indicate there was some kind of a, uh, a lib- not library, an, an archive. You can see there's a, a royal building. Mar- in fact, if you turn the page, you can see uh, more pictures of it now. You can see now I'm taking a picture on page 46. I'm taking a picture from the other side. Now I'm standing right here taking a picture this way. And you can see uh, the pithoi jars on the other side. You can actually see the Mount of Olives off on this side. And then there's that straight wall right here. Or it's going to be called the Ophel Wall in, uh, in Nehemiah. But that's the straight wall. They excavated it. And there's a royal building. It's, I've got royal structure labeled on that picture right there. And they found several things. Now what happened in 586 B.C. during the invasion, this was, of course, broken into and burnt. Things were crushed. The pithoys were crushed. But it appears they threw a bunch of the, the paperwork, the, the scrolls over the wall, and everything was burnt. And they found right here in this general area, in fact, I've got it on the bottom picture on page 46. Now I'm outside. If you can pit that together, I've tried to make it clear enough. I've got a drawing and I've got a photograph of where you're at. I've got an I and I've got an H. That is where they found uh, in an, a scientific archaeological excavation. It's what's called in situ, I-N-S-U-T-U, meaning in place. It wasn't found on a market somewhere. If someone picked it up while they're on a walking out trail. But they were excavating and they picked up outside of this tower right here a bula which is a clay seal that had had to press in with Hezekiah's pressed ring. Now, it may have been pressed by Hezekiah, or it may have been pressed by one of the people he gave his ring to to do his paperwork for him. And then right here, are you ready for this? I mean, you know this already, but this for me is just like, my gosh, this is amazing. Right here, they found the Isaiah Bula. And you can see the Isaiah Bula, I've got a photograph of it right here. That is an, actually a replica, a photograph of a replica that uh, you can go online and find it, but I've got a, I bought a replica. I've got a lot of, I got a couple actual bulas, but I bought a replica of this one because it's worth, you know, it's priceless. But it says on there, it says Isaiah the prophet, except for one thing is missing. If you wrote it in English, I, I, how do you spell Isaiah? Isaiah, is that correct right there? Isaiah the prophet. And then they've got, there's a deer standing up here, like a, you know, which shows peace and tranquility. But what is missing on this would be the first letter, it would be written different. It would be written prophet, would be written like over here. And what is missing, what is chipped off of, you can read Isaiah, and you can read Raphet. What is missing, it's chipped right here. You can't see in the English, it's in the Hebrew, would be the P. So it's like Isaiah the Raphet. What? But it doesn't say Isaiah the prophet, right? It may be a B, Isaiah the prophet, okay? That doesn't fit. And you go through the whole English language, and there's not a, nothing works. Same thing in Hebrew. Well, it doesn't say prophet. It's the letter is missing. We're not sure. Well, people that are, you know, honest, it's like, yeah, that's Isaiah. And it's right, remember, Isaiah and Hezekiah wrote letters back and forth, Hezekiah got advice from Isaiah. They communicated. And up here in this archive, when it was burnt, it appears, and you just wonder what was burnt. 
Uh, they lost all the, a lot of them, the priests lost their documentation when they came back. Well, letters of Isaiah that he'd written to Hezekiah, I mean, what, what was lost? Isaiah had sealed something, and the paperwork or the scroll was on a shelf in a, in a library, and just everything got thrown over and burnt, and then these things were glazed. Uh, and so there's, that's just kind of cool. That takes place right there. Now, I didn't mean to go down that road. What I was trying to show you right there was just the, uh, the way we're going to be talking about gates. Now, on page 47, there's some water jars that were in the water chamber. And those are, again, replicas, but they found those there in the water chamber of the water gate. And that's going to come up later. Okay, let's go to uh, Nehemiah chapter 3. Um, if we remember last week, we started reading. Uh, he's going to go around and they're going to start building the walls. This is just a little picture. I'm not sure what you can see there. But we're, this is the north wall, and we started talking about the sheep gate, and then eventually the corner tower and the prison gate where it's going to come up. But he's going this way, starting at the sheep gate, going this way, mentioning these locations. And those are just drawn on a real picture that, that was taken, or that I took from the Mount of Olives at the western wall. I'm going to read Jer- Nehemiah chapter 3. I'm going to read down to verse 8 or so, and I'm going to just... Stay focused and get through eight verses tonight. Again, it's monotonous material. Here it is. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priest went to work and and rebuilt the sheep gate. So I'm going to lift this up here first. And you can see that in your book. There's a map. All the red on this map and in your book is mentioned in this chapter. If it's red, it's said in this chapter. That's why you can just go around and just plug things in. Uh, they dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, or Mia, a hundred, again, a hundred something, probably a hundred soldiers, a division of soldiers, building as far as the Tower of Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananiel, the, uh, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, the son of Emery, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hashanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakhaz, repaired the Nix section. We'll talk about him. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Baana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, which is a city. That's why I've got this map right here. Tekoa is a city. There it is. Tekoa is right here. And we're going to talk about that because that's south in Judah. And they're being infiltrated by Gershom. The, the, uh, the, the, the Arab is putting pressure on this part of the country. We've talked about it. We'll review that. For some reason, the men of Tekoa were building that part of the wall. But their nobles, that would be the elite, the aristocrat, would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors or for their Lord. It either means their masters in the earth or it means the Lord Yahweh. Again, it's Adonai. So it's not Yahweh, it's Adonai. So it can mean Lord something. And again, it's hard to think their nobles have superiors over them. But we'll talk about it. The Jashana gate was repaired by Joadiah, jo, jo son of, you're free to name, say these any way you'd like to, 
Peshea and Meshulam, son of uh, Bes-Odiah, they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by the men from Gibeon and Mizpah. Again, those, that's up in Benjamin. That's north. That's up here. You can see right up here. That's up in this area here. Uh, uh, Melathiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Meridoth, places under the authority of the governor of trans-Euphrates. Now, we're going to look at that statement. That's a tough statement right there. Sounds like they're under the authority. That could be a correct translation, but there's also some other pl- words in play there. Then Uzziah, Uz- Uzael, son of Harhiah, Harhaiah, Harhaiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the Nick section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Uh, and it goes on and talks about it. So we're going to get to the broad wall tonight. So this is where they're going. The Sheep Gate, Tower of 100, the Tower of Hanil. Remember, these are fortresses, especially this Tower of Hanil. That is a fortress. When Herod move, covers this up and moves everything north, he's going to put Fort Antonia in a place to replace this fortification. This was totally destroyed by the Babylonians because they invaded from the north. We come around here is the Fish Gate. From the Fish Gate, here is what is called the Gate of Yashara, or y- of Yashana, or the Old Gate. We'll look at that. We've got to decide the name of that. Then here's possibly a location of the governmental seat or not. And that's part of the discussion tonight. Then the Ephraim Gate, and then you're going to have the Broad Wall. And that was a wall that covered this western part of the city. When Hezekiah, the people came down from northern Israel in 701 when the Assyrians were invading or was coming, they occupied this western hill. Hezekiah then built a wall around this. Jeremiah even criticizes him for tearing down houses. Some houses were marked for destruction because he wanted to build a wall right through here. Now, this, it says they came down as far as the broad wall, so it's going to make connection right here to the old wall. This little spot right here, I've got pictures in the book, that is, that has been excavated, that has, we found that part of the wall right there. And you can see it, and underneath the wall, there's walls of house houses were knocked down and the wall just it would be like someone coming through your neighborhood where we houses or there's a wall going right through your house and those there's houses buried underneath there that were knocked down and the stones were used for the wall then also this gate right here was excavated but anyway that's the broad wall and there's a spot right there now um let's go to just so you can see let's go over in your booklet please to uh page 15 and you can see on page 15 there, there I'm, that's what I'm going to be referring to is uh, the English Standard Version text that's here I was reading the NIV here's the English Standard uh, there's that picture I was showing you on page 15 that's a photograph I'm taking from the Mount of Olives at the east gate and then from that corner tower you can see the stones of that former corner tower and you can see and we'll talk about it when we get there there would have been a wall going all the way across that included the prison gate, which we haven't mentioned yet. It's coming up. It's going to come up during the dedication ceremony of chapter 12. The sheep gate, we spent some time talking about the sheep gate, which is under the Temple Mount today. It's, it's a cistern. The Tower of Meh, and then the Tower of Hananiel, and then we turn the corner. And you've got a map right there. Um, and then we're going to come down this wall on page 16 tonight. 
I do want to point this out because I'm going to lift up the other wall here. On page 23, you've got this map. You've got this map on page 22, identifying all the spots mentioned in chapter 3. You've got this map in chapter 3. Also, this is exactly the same verses, except this is the name of all the people that were doing the building. And so this is them all. We don't know exactly where they were, but we, got an, we know where the fish gate, we know where the sheep gate, we know where the broad wall, and then we just kind of filter people in in order, giving them a certain amount of space. So we'll be referring to these guys today. And you can see those two maps right there. Now, what I would like to do is now, if you want to have that page open to page 23, I'm going to take tonight's notes that I handed out and go to page 1, chapter 3, verse 1, and get through these verses tonight. We did a lot of work on this north wall last week. Um, Chapter 3, verse 1, page 1. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of Meh. So right here they build this, and as far as here, they consecrated that far. They consecrated as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananiel. So this was all kind of together. They got this all done. The priest kind of took care of this. So Eliashib the priest. Now, again, think of those, the, the sheep gate as some kind of, it can't just be a swinging gate. Because right here is, is the fortification. These are places, the Tower of Hundreds, probably is a, a division of soldiers. They're not going to have some kind of, well, this is the Temple Mount. We don't want to get, you know, too secure. Well, this is the place that's invaded. That t- sheep gate is going to have to be well fortified. It's going to have some chambers in it. It's going to be well fortified and protected. And the priests are building it. They're doing it themselves. And they're going to consecrate it, dedicate it to the Lord, because that is the gate that they bring the sheep in and out of. Even in John refers to the sheep gate, which is further north at that time, was by the Pool of Bethesda, which is right here, which is called the sheep pool. The sheep would be brought in for the sacrifice right through. So the priests use this but it's also part of the fortification. Now, some, some things about Eliashib, the priest. Uh, the list begins with the priest working on the north wall that led into the temple mount. The son of Jehoiakim, who was the son of Joshua, the high priest, who returned from exile with Zerubbabel. So when it says Eliashib, he was the son of these guys. He was the son of Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim was the son of Joshua. So you go back to Zechariah. You go back to uh, when they, were, they came back, you know, the begin- when they first came back in 538, and Joshua the high priest came with Zerubbabel. That would be Eliashib's grandfather who comes back. And that's a direct relation, no doubt about it. His house is going to be mentioned in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. So if you look on the red map, you can see Eliashib's house. Over there on the, uh, the right side, uh, the priest's house, Zadok's house, Meshulah's, the house of the servants, the corner gate. Um, oh, okay, I, yeah, it's down here. Down there are the terraces, down here, in this part right here. Right here, this is Eliashib's house right there. Uh, another thing, in Ezra chapter 10, verse 6, after Ezra mourned publicly, he withdrew to the room of Johanan, the son of Eliashib, which is on the Temple Mount. So when he, when he, you remember Ezra comes back and he sees the disaster there and he goes mourning, has his public wailing moment, and then he withdraws. He goes to Eliashib's son's house, which is on the Temple Mount area, his chambers. That's where he goes and refreshes himself or, you know, whatever, continues to mourn, just so you understand that. And there's your point D, there's your, your lineage 
Uh, Joshua came back, point D. Joshua comes back with Zerubbabel in 538. He has a son, Jehoiakim, who's the father of Eliashib, who's right here. Now stay with me. His son, Jehoiada, has a house. Johanan is his son. And then Jedua, which would be his great, Eliashib's great-grandson, is the one who welcomes Alexander the Great into the city. He goes up and meets, goes up north of the city, and instead of marching with the military, marches with the priests in all their attire and brings Alexander back. And Alexander, instead of destroying the city like he did Samaria, worships on this temple mount. Uh, and that's, that's all that's taking place here. Uh, point two, the sheep gate is the only gate sanctified by the priest. They're not going to go around and sanctify all the gates. They're only sanctifying this one. Chapter 12, there will be a dedication where they come out the valley gate. Nehemiah will go south with a delegation and come in the water gate. We just looked at that. And then go up here and meet here. Ezra will take a group, go this way of priests and people and come in through the prison gate and come in right here and they'll meet and have the celebration. Uh, but uh, that's the dedication. There's other, and there's no, uh, as far as uh, uh, sanctifi- uh, sanctifying them. Point three, the to- Tower of 100. We talked about that last week. And we turn the page, chapter... Three or page 2, chapter 3, verse 2. Okay, I got through chapter 3, verse 1. And next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Emery built. Now, first of all, just notice, this is very well detailed. I mean, I can make this, anybody could make a map. It's all, you just go through here, and, and what kind of, what document, this is not something people are doing by memory. It's like, well, I think he built here, and they're not writing this down 400 years later. This is paperwork that Nehemiah and his staff was assigning or people were volunteering and they were plugging. Nehemiah probably divided this up. There's a spot to work here, spot to work here. People volunteered and and picked up the the slack. Got it done in 52 days. So this is a highly organized situation. Eliashib and the priest, they start right here. Now, the men of Jericho, from this Tower of Haniel to halfway to the fish gate, the men of Jericho. Now, we got to decide. A lot of these things we don't know. But the men of Jericho, did they come from Jericho to help rebuild the wall? Or are they from Jericho living in Jerusalem for business, for a protection, uh, whatever reason? It would, it would appear that they're from Jericho. I'm going to say that they're from Jericho, but they've taken up residence in this area for some purpose, if it be business, if it's opportunity. And they're interested in helping build this wall and they build this, this section. Now, the men of Tekoa are coming up here also. See, we're going to mention different people. Tekoa, right here. They're going to be building up here, but their, 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 uh, their leaders won't, won't help. So that's the men of Jericho. And then next to him, Zakur, the son of Emery, built. Uh, and again, we don't know. Some of these guys, I mean, they'll tell you something. Some of these guys, we don't know. Uh, I did have in point chapter 3, verse 2, other towns that are mentioned as we go around this wall are Tekoa. We've already read about Gibeon and Mizpah, cities to the north. Zenoah, Bahakaram, Bazur, and Kila. And you can see on that map and this map, and you've got those maps in your booklet, all those cities are, are mentioned in there. They're all within Judah, in the borders of Judah. And again, Judah is a very, very small satrap right here in the huge Persian empire. The sons of Hashaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams, set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Again, when we say they, that's why I said that earlier, when it says they built the fish gate, they just didn't stack up some, you know, blocks and have a swinging door. 
there would be chambers. They, when they put the, the, the hardware on there, they put the doors on there and the bar that comes down and sh- shuts it, they're shutting up a, a chamber uh, and you, you're, you're not going to be able to get in. That's going to be one of the places that's protected. It's well built. But the fish gate is right here and it's going to come up later. It's going to be a place of some hot spots, some of the Nehemiah's problems because he's going to enforce the Sabbath. Now, these people haven't always been enforcing the Jewish law. Ezra came to bring it, up, bring it about up to speed, and he's had his own problems, and he's been busy working, but things are not fully functioning. Nehemiah's coming now to build the, the civic structure to help with the, the religion. Uh, but some people are busy on the Sabbath, and these gates are open on the Sabbath because you can never close the gates on the Sabbath because there are no gates that are functioning. That's why Nehemiah wants to get the gates, one of the reasons for protection, but also they're going to shut them. The men from Sidon and Tyre on the coast over, go over here to the Mediterranean Sea. They're going to come in from the north, northwest, and the fish gate is the closest gate, and that's where they sell the fish. So this would be the fish market outside this gate. Nehemiah is going to have a conflict because he's going to say, you can't, no, no business on the Sabbath. So they're going to shut the gates. Everybody's honoring the Sabbath. Well, the men, the Gentiles, come in from the northwest. They're like, hey, the gate's closed. Not a problem. We'll just set up market on the outside. And people are coming out over here. And then Nehemiah, well, you saw Jesus turn tables. Nehemiah, he's not going to be turning tables. But Nehemiah's going to go out and put a stop to that. That will all take place there at the fish gate. Uh, point one, page two, point one under chapter three, verse three. Fish gate referred to in Zephaniah chapter one, verse 10. In 624 through 617 B.C., before the Babylonian destruction in 586, uh, it says, On that day, this was Zephaniah prophesying before the Babylonian destruction. Zephaniah was prophesying along with Zechariah and Habakkuk. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills, prophesying 586, sometime between 624 and 617. Now again, that's when Zephaniah was prophesying. uh, You know, that's right at the early days of Jeremiah. So, a cry from the fish gate. There's a a wail from the second quarter. Where's the second quarter? That's this. This is the first quarter of the city. This is the new quarter. This would be, uh, what do we call them? You know, you got the city, the suburbs. This is the suburb, the second part. That's where Hezekiah built the wall around. Uh, there's a wail from there and then a loud crash from the hills. And the hills would either be up here in the north where the invasion's coming from. You've got the, you know, Mount Olives could be hills there. The western hill could be here. So, I mean, what is he talking about, the, the, uh, a loud crash? Is that the wall coming down here? Is that this collapsing over here while they're wailing? It, but it deals with the Babylonian invasion. Nonetheless, Zephaniah mentions this fish gate and why the fish gate, why not the dung gate? Why not a, there's a great crash crying at the dung gate. Well, no one's invading from down here because you've got to climb up from the Kidron or the Hinnom or the Central Valley. The invasion's coming from right here. And that's why it would be easy to prophesy. That's where it's going to take place. Point B, the main interest to Jerusalem in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 14, during Manasseh's late reform. Now, remember Manasseh, the worst king, spent some 50 years in rebellion towards God, offered his sons in the fire, and the Assyrians came by, put a hook in his jaw, put him in prison. 
during in prison, he repents and is brought back because there's a change in leadership. He's brought back. And when Manasseh comes back, he was all what we'd say uh, woke and uh, 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 liberals fine, I suppose, at some level. But he was very progressive, very progressive. We're going to be doing all these things. And when he came back from prison, the guy is straight-up conservative, Yahweh-fearing. And what he starts doing, which is interesting, before he was like, ah, it's going to be fine. Do whatever we want. When he comes back, it's like, we need to build the walls stronger. We need to build some towers. I'm telling you, it's ugly out there. And it's funny to see the guy go from woke and progressive to come back from having a hook in his jaw, being in prison, come back and go, oh, you don't know what's out there. And he starts the last part, and that's when, which is interesting, Josiah, his son Ammon, it becomes king right after Manasseh dies. Ammon becomes king for two years. And then Ammon's son becomes king, something like Josiah, like when he's 12 or something. Which means his little Josiah was born and Grandpa Manasseh was just getting back from Babylonian captivity. And it's like, Josiah grew up very straight, very righteous, very interested in bringing reform to Judah and northern Israel. Uh, you don't know the story. You don't know for sure. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't say it. But Ammon grew up under bad Manasseh and was a bad king. But little Josiah, uh, his grandfather, and you don't know how much contact he had. We assume he had quite a bit. Uh, grew up with Manasseh in a frenzy trying to re recapture everything in his life that he'd thrown away as the king of Judah. Nonetheless, here's the, one of those verses. After he built an out, this is after Manasseh came back. Now, he's not doing this before his first 50 years as king. He's just offering children in the fire, building pagan shrines and, you know, whatever, you know, wicked, woke kings do. But when he comes back, after he built an outer wall for the city of David west of Gion, so that's out here. Gion, he built an outer wall out here and west of Gion, reinforcing that, the well or the water source, in the valley, and for the entrance into the fish gate and carried it around the oval. And the oval is this part right here. This is always rising. It starts here, the, the, the rock formation, the, that ridge, rise higher and higher and higher and rise up to Mount Moriah, then just keeps right on going. But this is called, oval means the rising. So he built from the fish gate all around here. This was all reinforced by uh, Manasseh. But he mentions the fish gate there. He also put commanders of the army in all the fortified cities of Judah. So in, in all these cities out here, the fortified cities that were going to be destroyed uh, in Hezekiah's time, uh, Manasseh is going to uh, uh, try and rebuild them. Now, yeah, we could go on with that whole story. Let's keep moving. Uh, it was also it was called the Fish Gate because merchants from the Mediterranean Sea would bring the fish there, uh, come up the mountain range through Beth Horn. Nehemiah thirteen sixteen takes care of it. Um, okay, point two. It laid its beams, which is the Hebrew word uh, kuruhu. The root is ku, which refers to putting up a roof or finishing a house. In other words, basically what they're doing, they're doing all the detail work. And again, these gates would be not just stone structures. They'd be lined with wood. They'd be detailed. They'd have some kind of a roof, some kind of protection. People would meet. The, the elders of the city would meet in the gates. There was an important place to be. You know that part. Um, 
This could be the beam across the top of the gate, such as the lintel. It could be referring to finishing work as functioning the gate, making sure the gate functions. They laid, laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and bars. Doors would be wooden swinging doors. The bolts would secure it to the, the, the stone system. And then, of course, the bars would be coming down and locking it shut. Chapter 3, verse 4. And next to them, we got three guys that are mentioned here, two guys I'm going to be able to talk about. And then next to them, so coming right, right the, that, that is, coming down here, uh, men of Jericho, Zakur, and sons of Hashaniah, uh, uh, they built the fish gate. Now we come right down here, Merimoth, Mesh- Meshulam, and then Zadok. Zadok, I've got nothing for you, so you've you got a break right there. But these two guys right here, just so you know, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, uh, repaired next to him. Again, we don't know exactly where he repaired, but here's the fish gate, and here's the gate of Yashan, uh, Yashanan. Uh, they're going to be one, two, three, dividing it up in that area. Nonetheless, Merimoth is mentioned several times. First of all, he is a priest, and when Ezra came back from Babylon, and he brought all that gold and silver, and he divided it up with some of his leaders, they all brought it to the temple after their, when they arrived, and they gave it to Merimoth. And Merimoth measured it out. That's Ezra chapter 8, verse 33. Uh, it says, On the fourth day within the house, they, remember, they rested three days. On the fourth day within the house of our God, the silver and gold and the vessels were weighed in the hands of Merimoth, the priest, the son of Uriah. He also rebuilt another part of the wall on the other side of the city above the collapsed terraces in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 21. So he's good. there's a couple guys that are mentioned on both sides of the city. He's going to build here. But Merimoth, in chapter 3, verse 21, after him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib. Remember the high priest, Eliashib? Here's the house of Eliashib. Merimoth, from the opening of that door and the property in front of Eliashib's house, Merimoth is going to build that part also. So that's just one of those interesting things. Well, I thought it interesting. Um, And C... He is going to, Nehemiah is going to, in chapter 10, he's going to make a covenant. The people have broken faith in a variety of ways, and he's going to say, here's some things we need to do as a community. We've got to follow the law of Moses. We can't be cooperating with the Samaritans and, 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 and the Ammonites, and you can't be selling out our country to other nations like some of these guys are doing. And we're going to make a covenant. So they all get together, and they all sign the covenant. And what's interesting, and what we get there, I'll maybe bring in a couple rings, but they would use, they didn't sign anything. They pressed their ring. They put their seal into it. Just like we talked about the Isaiah Bula and the Hezekiah Bula. They sealed, they all took a piece of clay and pushed their ring into it. Well, it says Merimoth, in point C, signed his name with a seal on the covenant in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 5. And then it says, right there, I've got the verse written out part of it. On the seals are the names of Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, Hiram, Merimoth, Obadiah, and there's a whole list of names of guys that came by, put their signature on the document. That's Merimoth. Now, Meshulam, Meshulam, son of, got his son and his, his father and his grandfather, also repaired the second portion of the wall and signed his seal on the covenant. So he, does, he builds this part. He also is going to build over here. And we'll take a look at that. It's right Meshulam is going to build right here. You know why Meshulam's building right there? If you look on your maps, right there is Meshulam's living quarters. 
And again, I had it right here. If you remember, I told you as I put this together, Meshulam, the, the, Meshulam built across from his house. I did this in three steps. And I'm, I'm researching this. I'm reading people's stuff, trying to figure it out. And sometimes they don't, you, you're asking a question, no one's, no one's addressing it. They just, like, they just read right past it. Fortunately, I don't read right past it. I stop and spend two weeks on it. Okay. <laughs> but nonetheless, I first put it over here. His, he built a, opposite his house. Well, I put it here. Well, that didn't make any sense because it drops off into the Kidron Valley, but I, I didn't know what else to do. I still got one house in the wrong place here. That, that house should have been inside. So I put it in here because I forgot that this EC, when you go to Jerusalem today and you walk on the eastern wall, you walk right down here because the eastern wall of the city is the eastern wall of the Temple Mount. Well, in that day, the Temple Mount had its own wall, except the north wall, and the city wall came out like this and around. It was separated. And so before I realized that, I put, and I had already printed these, I put Meshulam's house on the Temple Mount. So he built opposite his house, he built the wall here. That's not, I don't think, right. Now, on your books, if you look, if you look on the, if you've got one of those pages open, I've got Meshul, just on the other side of the wall. He's on the, his house is on the wall of the Temple Mount, like, like uh, uh, Rahab's house was on the wall of Jericho. She wasn't like living on the wall. I remember being there with a, and we're looking at it, and a, and a Chinese girl was with me, uh, and, and she, she spoke English. I didn't speak Mandarin. Uh, and and she, if we were looking at it right there, and we taking pictures, she goes, she goes, I thought Rahab's, because they're saying these are the houses. The wall was, the foundation wall was up there, and the wall had been built on top of the retaining wall. Then you see the mud bricks of the houses outside, and she goes, I thought it was on the wall. And then, and so I remember explaining to her, I says, because you, you just think she lived on the wall. Well, she, her house was attached to the wall, and so uh, you can still see the mud breaking. You can still see the remains of it. I just remember that. And that's what, that's what this is right here. His house would be on the wall right here, inside this. So this guy that's building right here, Meshulam, is also going to be building over here, but he's going to be building across from his house right there. Now, he's going to sign the document also. Um, and I got the chapter 3, verse 30. That's where his living quarters, point B. Meshulam was also the man who sealed with his signature, point B. Point C, Meshulam had also... Now, this is, in, this, this is where it gets interesting if you're saying this is monotonous information. This guy's building... This is like one of the go-getters. Man, he's out supporting Nehemiah. He's, he's building two parts of the wall. He's a priest. He's signing the covenant. But then you get to point, point C. Meshulam had also given his daughter in marriage to the son of Tobiah. In Nehemiah 6.17. And that's one of the enemies over here the, from Tobiah. The Ammonites are coming across here. They're trying to take up occupation. And before Nehemiah got there, these people are playing. They're both sides of the fence. I mean, it's not like they're wicked. They're just lost. It's like they, they want to restore Jerusalem, but they really can't because no one will let them build the walls. Even Artaxerxes wouldn't let them build the walls. And so the only way to survive is to kind of cooperate with the Ammonites, the Samaritans, and Gershom, the, Am, uh, the Arab, coming up, now with Nehemiah getting on the scene, getting this done, uh, uh, Meshalem get, gets kind of get, gets chewed out, if you would, because it's like, uh, I've got a family alliance with the Ammonites. And that's in chapter 6, verse 17. It says, Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. So they're writing letters. The leaders, you talk about China, 
and the United States, or let's just say China and the Bidens, whatever you want to say, it's like in those days, the, some of the leaders were sending letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah and his leaders were sending letters back and forth. They're negotiating back and forth what's best for themselves. They're not in, like Nehemiah is coming back to build the city, you know, make Jerusalem great again. These guys that he's coming in to help make the city great again are surviving by compromising the city with Tobiah. And that's where you've got it right here. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. In other words, they, in those days, there was constant email communication between the people of Ammon and the leaders of Judah. And the people of Judah didn't even have a wall. So they're at the mercy of the Ammonites, the Samaritans, Geshem coming up here. And they're all trying to get a piece of this, this Judah pie. Um, I'm reading this again. So many letters, and Tobiah's letters came from them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him. Again, that, they're under contract. I mean, it, it's oath. It's, it's, in a sense, more serious than a contract. They, were, they had moral obligation because they'd taken an oath. An oath to Tobiah because he was the son-in-law of Sekaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Johanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. And so this guy that's building on both sides has got his house right here outside the wall. His daughter is married to the enemy that Nehemiah is trying to get shut out. So you can just, the tension, the people that are working for Nehemiah, some of them are like, they're going to betray him, and they have already. Some of them are caught saying, we don't want to, we didn't have any choice. We want to do this too, but I've got family, I've, I've got an oath. So you can see, this is just, a, the whole book of Nehemiah is going to be kind of a tense situation. And Nehemiah is going to be this great leader that's just going to somehow put his nose to the grindstone and just navigate his way through it and uh, not really sign up with anybody. He's just going to get the job done. Nonetheless, that's point C. Point D, Meshulam was one of Ezra's leading men in Babylon, according to Ezra 8.16. Meaning when Ezra left Babylon, he had some key men that he considered them to be very wise. Meshulam was one of them. And remember when he got ready to leave, they fasted and they realized, we don't have any Levites. None of the Levites signed up. And he sent, well, here it is. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jerob, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leading men, and for Jor. Jorarib and El Nathan, who were men of insight, and he sends them over to negotiate and get some of the Levites to come back with him. So that puts Meshulam, and again, it's the same guy. Some, you know, this, it's a debate. They're coming back from Babylon with Ezra and still being on the scene, and he's going to be getting old, obviously. So this does not mean this old man is out there and everybody's just kind of standing around watching him build the gate. Uh, that means he's in charge. He built that. Uh, think of some, think, think of some example. Somebody, you know, so and so built this, and it, it gives the impression that they're out there all day running backhoes and skid loaders and carrying lumber. It's like no, they 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 planned it, they organized it, and they're hiring a crew. So these guys, I don't. Part of them, they're working. I, I'm sure they're working, but they're not doing all the work by themselves. They've got a team. It's not like we count. These 70 men built the wall. There's 70 slots 
and these are the leaders. This guy was in leading two slots. So that's what we have to think about. Next. And next to him, or next to them, next to these three guys, two of them we know about, Zadok we don't, were the Tekoites. Just like the men of Jericho were up here. Were they living in Jericho then came to help out? Or were they moved from Jericho to live part-time in Jerusalem? The men of Tekoa, and I, I would be very confident of saying this, at least confident in presenting it. Tekoa, see the border right here. Tekoa, we know that the Arabs down here, Geshem, we've got the problem with uh, uh, Sanballat in Samaria, Tobiah in Ammon, and Geshem, the Arab. But see, he's way down here. That's a long ways away, the, the Arabs, way down here. Except for the fact that he's pushed the Edomites up into Edomia, and they're occupying southern Judah because Judah can't control it. And now they're getting pushed even further up into closer up to Judah, and, and they're under the rulership of Geshem, the Arab, who's taken over Edom and Idumea, and uh, he's got a, that's why I got this map here, there's a palace, Lachish was one of the fortified cities, one of the last ones to fall, Lachish and Ezekiel were the two, two I'd say Lachish was the last one, to fall, uh, well, they fell to the Assyrians, uh, it was Sennacherib, and then they fell again to Nebuchadnezzar, but they're fortified cities. There is a, excavated a Persian palace here at Lachish that was not in Judah's territory. That is Geshem, who's mentioned as being an enemy to Nehemiah, has come up here, he controls this, and has actually got a palace right here occupying, this is one of his seats of control, putting pressure on all these people, including the men of Tekoa. So the men of Tekoa, if you're negotiating and you're trying to survive under foreign pressure, the last thing you want is you got Nehemiah saying, we've got to build the city, but you've got Geshem telling you, you better not build that city. I want that city. I want this territory. You know what's best for you. You better compromise. And, and that's where these guys are at right here. They're in a place of compromise where they are under the control of Geshem, the Arab, and uh, here it is. The men of Tekoa would be the people from the small town of Tekoa, five miles south of Bethlehem, seven miles south, southeast of Jerusalem, who had moved to Jerusalem probably for safety, maybe for business or to take advantage of, of some things in the city life. There's not much city life in Tekoa. This is all just unoccupied. I mean, there's people living here, but it's not, you know, that's why it's easy to overtake it. Uh, Amos was from the city of Tekoa, Amos chapter 1, verse 1. These men of Tekoa may have felt pressure from Geshem the Arab who had moved into the southern Judah. I just said all that. Point three, the nobles of the men of Tekoa would not help or work. They would not. And the nobles are going to be the, the, the power players, the political leaders uh, of Tekoa who've come up here for protection or for business. And they realize if, it, if, if Geshem finds out they're, they're helping build the wall that Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And they already, they've, already, they've already approached Nehemiah and says, you can't do this. And Nehemiah says, I've got the paperwork, I've got the history, and I've got God on my side, and we're going to build it. So they've already tried to stop him. And the last thing the men of Tekoa want to do is get, you know, start supporting Nehemiah. And then, of course, you know, someone steals the election and he, Nehemiah loses the governorship and it goes to Sanballat or something and then Sanballat sells the country and divides it up. You know, I mean, hypothetically, I mean, just thinking, you know, if, if something like that would happen. Uh, 
Point three, the nobles or the men of Tekoa would not help. Nobles is the word that means literally the exalted one, the majestic ones. They appear to be the elites, the aristocrats. Uh, they refuse work maybe because of manual labor. A lot of commentators, and this is fine. You've got to read all the commentators. Uh, you don't have to read them all. But they say, these guys didn't want to do manual labor. It was below that. We're not, and that's, that's fun. That's a fun thing. They, they wouldn't work. The priests are working. The people are working. But the, the aristocrats, the elites, they're not going to put their shoulder to the, they're not going to work. And it might be because they thought manual labor was below them. A lot of people run that and make a sermon out of it. Uh, you know, the ministries, everybody's got to work in the ministry and that whole thing. But I think it's more political, I, I think. Again, you can decide. I'd I be fair and say, you know, they just didn't want to work. They're too, they're too far above uh, manual labor. What's interesting as we get down here, what's coming up next is you're going to get perfumers are helping build the wall and goldsmiths are helping build the wall. And that was very, very fine, detailed work, and yet they're helping build the wall. What you don't, and this is, this is coming up later, what you don't hear is the baker's building the wall you don't hear about bakers or the water carriers they're not you don't see those people you see people helping build a wall that you know we don't need jewelry right now we don't need perfume right now so get to work but the people the bakers where's the baker why aren't the bakers building because people got to eat and so uh even over in this side you're going to have some people that are goldsmiths and perfumers that are doing manual labor okay Page four, very quickly. Uh, I could spend some time on this. Uh, it says right here, just so you can see this, uh, the, the, I've got the Hebrew there, the English Standard Version. It says, their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Um, and, and first of all, the word Lord, you can see that at the very end. I'll, I'll read through the Hebrew backwards, of course. And next to them made repairs the Tekoites, but their nobles not did put their shoulders, in a square box, their shoulders to the work of their Lord. Now, first of all, their Lord, it is basically, you see it right in there, Adon, part of the word is Adonai. It, it, it means master, uh, Lord. It could be a man that's your Lord. It could be your boss that's your Lord. Uh, a, a, a child could call their father, a wife could call her husband Lord, or Yahweh is Lord. He's the master. It is not the word Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, which is the personal name of Israel's God. This is Adonai. So this Lord is some master. It doesn't say who it is. You're, you're going to have to kind of, and different translations go, is it? They wouldn't help their masters their master nehemiah is their master someone else that's over them the the aristocrats or is their master the lord is this the work of the lord that is building the wall now, of course this is the work of the lord that is being done here yahweh wants this built so that would fit but what is that word actually saying we kind of leave it hanging there and we'll talk about it um but it's, the interesting part here if if you care it says their, their shoulders, they would not put their shoulders to the work. Point C, their shoulders means the neck or the back of the neck, and it comes from the ideal of the ox having the, the yoke on its back. They would not put themselves in the place of an ox and, and do the work. Now, maybe it's because it's below them. They're, they're the aristocrats. We don't get our hands dirty. Or it's, again, because of politics. They won't, be, they won't take the place of the ox for some reason. 
um, this was not just work or labor or service they refused to do. They refused, and I put here, they refused to serve the Lord. You know, they're, they're not going to do the Lord's work. Uh, it's either going to serve Geshem and the political climate, or you're going to serve the Lord. And right here, the Lord is moving, and they're afraid that the Lord's not going to come through, and so they're going to go with Geshem the Arab instead. Uh, that would be another way of looking at it. Now, I've got all kinds of stuff here. This is where the, the translation backsliding comes from uh, because you, got, you put it on your back and it just slides off your back. And I've got Jeremiah 27, 12. Uh, and I've got some Hosea 4, 16. You can see all that there. And I've got the Hebrew. I was interested in it when I was studying it, but it, I think it's really boring right now. And so I, but anyway, that's where the word backslide comes from, the idea of a yoke being on an ox's back and sliding off. And if you're going to do the work of the Lord, you're not going to let stuff slide off your back. You're going to put the yoke on and you're going to get the work done. But you're backsliding. You've thrown off the yoke. It just slid off your back. You're a backslider. comes out of the King James and Hosea and Jeremiah 27. Okay, uh, enough of that. The idea is to wait on their neck. Uh, point E at the bottom of page four. Interestingly, uh, they have found some documents. They've actually found Bar Kokhba documents. And I just was reading a book about this. Uh, and so they've even found a couple signatures of Bar Kokhba himself uh, in the revolt of 132 to 135 against the Jews, the second Jewish revolt. But he, there's a document where he writes, because the men of Tekoa right here, the hideout was over here at En Gedi, right in this area here by the Dead Sea. They went into the hills of En Gedi. In fact, if you've been watching the news, they just found the four uh, new spears, not old, but they're like, Roman swords still in their sheaths in some cave crevice there. I mean, they just keep going through those crevices. It's, it's kind of scary stuff because you've got to go through some very narrow spots to get through into a bigger cave and find out what's back there. But you be, can't be claustrophobic. I mean, it's just, I mean, I read about it, I just cringe. I wish I was back there looking for stuff, but it's like I can't even imagine. Just like, well, I hope I don't get trapped in here. <laughs> but anyway, they just found some swords from the Barcopa revolt that they'd taken and hidden there they still had the 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 leather or the sheaths on them and they're making a big deal about it but nonetheless they found letters also and here's one of the letters the Minotikoa wanted to come over to Engedi for protection in 132 135 AD and uh but they weren't weren't helping they weren't holding their ground and so Barcopa wrote uh it, it got in papyri Concerning every man of Tekoa who will be found at your place in Gedi, the houses in which they dwell will be burned and you too will be punished. He says, if I find any of those men from Engedi who won't follow my orders, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going back to Tekoa and burning their houses and I'm going to punish you for letting them stay. Because they won't listen, they don't get to stay in, in, in Engedi. In the, in okay, nonetheless, that's the men of Tekoa. Weren't cooperating here, they weren't cooperating in 132. I'm not sure if that means anything. Okay, chapter 3, verse 6. Joiada, uh, the son of Pasha and Meshulam, the son of Boshaniah, repaired the gate of Yeshana. And that's this gate right here. And the gate of Yeshana, it means basically three things. I've got it, I put the Hebrew text right there. Translating it, it means Shar, S-H-A-A-R, or as it's written there in the Hebrew, S-A-A-R, the transliteration. It means gate. And Heishanan, or Heishana, it means old. So straight up, a literal translation means the old gate. 
So this would be the old gate, uh, meaning it was there back in, in Hezekiah's day. But of course, so was the Ephraim gate and the fish gate, the sheep gate. They're all old gates. Uh, so that, but that's the translation of it. Some Bibles, I think, like right here, yeah, the English Standard Version, they just don't translate it. They just put the word right in there. It's called the Yeshana gate. What's that mean? Yeshana. And it's like, and so we lose the meaning. What were they, what were they referring to? The other alternative besides it's just being, it's the old gate, is there was a city going north up here in towards, in the tribe of Benjamin of Yeshana. And that's, I've got that referred to 2 Kings uh, 14, 13. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, Jeremiah 31. No, no, no. 2 Chronicles 13, 19. Uh, there's a city up there, and that may be leading to that city. The other would be there's, uh, you, you got to get into the, the language and the words. It may actually be a corruption of the word new gate, which would be, it's a new gate referring to, it leads to the, not initially a new gate, but it leads to the new quarter, referring to this new quarter. It led to the new part of the city. Uh, I don't know. So anyway, that's the way we've got on there. Uh, it is referred to uh, possibly in 2 Kings 14 and Jeremiah 31 as the corner gate. Uh, this is interesting just for the sake of reading this. Uh, in 2 Kings 14, verse 13, and Jehoash was also a builder fortifying the city. The king of Israel, or no, excuse me, he was the king of Israel. He's attacking Judah, and Judah's going to be building because of Joash. And Jehoash, Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh, that's up in, towards Galilee, and came to Jerusalem. So he captures the king of northern Israel, captures the king of Judah in a battle up in northern, by, by Galilee. And when he comes back, he comes back and tears down uh, 400 cubits of the wall, which is 600 feet, from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate. So from the Ephraim gate this way, 600 feet, or from the Ephraim gate this way, 600 feet. So some people think the gate of Yeshana may be that corner gate that that wall was torn down and then, of course, rebuilt. Uh, I'm just showing that to you so you can see it. Chapter 3, verse 7, page 6. And next to them repaired Melathiah the Gibeonite and Jadon, Jadon uh, the Maranathite. And that's their names. But they are men of Gibeon and Mizpah. And that would be up in this area here. Gibeon and Mizpah is going to be coming up here. See, going Gibeon and Mizpah is, Mizpah, where is it at on here? I don't see it right now. But Mizpah is, is right in this area here. Uh, it's in Gibeon. It, they're up in this area. Now, what this verse is saying, these guys repaired the next part of the wall, and they were from Gibeon and Mizpah, just like people from Jericho, people from Tekoa. These people come down from the north up here just a few miles away, and we're building part of the gate. And then here's it says this. The seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Now, a couple things right here. This, this area of Mizpah and Gibeon, this part up here, uh, you, can, you, can get, you get hints of it in the Bible, but archaeology is, is now confirming it. This was never destroyed. In 580, when Nebuchadnezzar came in, up in this area of Benjamin, 
it wasn't destroyed. Remember, who was telling the people, just surrender to Nebuchadnezzar and you won't be destroyed? Because Nebuchadnezzar is the hand of God's judgment coming to you. And if you fight against him, he will burn your city. That was Jeremiah's message. Jeremiah's message from the go was, you're under judgment. You just submit to God's judgment and you'll be fine. But you fight, he's going to burn this whole place down. He'll burn his temple down. And they go, oh, well, God will never do that. Well, he did. It appears the men of Benjamin heard Jeremiah's message or saw the political winds and like, we're not going to beat Nebuchadnezzar. And they just surrendered. And so he's like, fine, and let them continue to occupy. There's hints of that, that place still functioning, never being destroyed, you know, vineyards and things throughout that whole time. In fact, that's where these guys are coming from. Now, it says the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. So that is one of two things. To the north here, the governor, the seat of the governor. Now, who is the governor of Judah? Nehemiah. The seat of the governor of Trans-Euphrates, that's this area. I'm in my way of my maps over in this area here. That includes this area, um, uh, 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 Ammon. Uh, but they had a place of, of a seat of leadership here or a government building here where they would do business. That either means up here in the land of Benjamin, they occupied that place, or I've got it drawn on here on page 30 or 22. You can see it on 22 or 23. Right there where those guys are building, I've got a little square building that that may have been the government seat. They may have had a place. They were building, well, it's right here. Uh, these guys, Melathiah, Jadon, from Gibeon and Mizpah, they were building right here, right beside this, where the governor had a seat. So when they would travel, when the, the governor of Trans-Euphrates would travel to see how business was doing in Jerusalem, when the Chinese would come to Washington, they had their own building, that they had their own seat of government uh, that was being taken, and Nehemiah was going to. So it's either here, which some translations write it, that there was a place, a seat here, or that it's up in Benjamin. But nonetheless, the Trans-Euphrates had a place of a governmental seat, uh, and these men were from the territory where that seat was at, or these men were building right beside that capital building where they were at. And that's, that's you know, point three says figuratively, it's, it means authority. It can mean a house that the governor lives in, or it can mean an actual throne. Uh, and they had, did write some things. Archaeologically, they have found some Persian throne remains up there in, in that area where they're at. So there we have it. And then we pick up next week. They built then as far as the, the, the broad wall. Once we get down into here, this is, see how this guy right here? Notice this guy right here? Again, I don't think it's one guy building, but this whole wall, he's going to go from here all the way down to the dung gate because this wall did not get destroyed. Uh, that it needs to be repaired. But it was inside, the, it's like a wall inside the city. This wall is destroyed. This is just left rubble. But all this needs to be repaired. This guy's going to move fairly quickly. We'll get into the perfumers and the goldsmiths. I wanted to get down here, but I could tell I wasn't going to. And then once you turn up here, uh, we get going through that terraces. Uh, and there's a lot of work. And the, the wall used to be down on the Kidron Valley in terraces. They're going to leave all that off and just stay right on the ridge of the city, just skip all that. That was a, a, a call that Nehemiah had to make. If we're going to get this done, we're going to have to skip this part and skip this part, stay on the ridge, and get this closed in. So Nehemiah is, 
is building quick with an intention of getting this thing closed in. And his purpose, we know, we know, we can tell, his purpose is to keep the Samaritans out, the Arabs out, and those in trans-Euphrates out because they're all trying to divide this up. And what God is trying to restore, these people are trying to put apart and they just don't have enough gumption to get it done. And Artaxerxes gave him a go-ahead and so Nehemiah's got a green light from the government, Persian government. He's got a green light from God and they've got a history. This is our territory. And it's amazing. All those things come together. 52 days, they got it done. And it's, it's an amazing thing. I'll pray and then you're free to go. I do appreciate you taking time to be here, especially those of you that come back week after week and you know what you're getting into. Uh, I, I thank you for that because it, yeah, I, I enjoy studying this and I appreciate that there's someone to listen to because, like I said, Tony can only hear so much and it's like, <laughs> let's talk about something else. All right. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for having this record, with the, the history, the archaeology, but also seeing your hand at work and how you worked through the lives of, of people uh, in the face of their enemies, their opposition, the, the labor, the, the political situations, and you got the work done. Father, we do ask that we ourselves would follow you and be attentive, uh, not just working our own plan, our own will, but doing the things you've called us to do, the things that you're doing at this time in history, that we'd participate and help build your kingdom at this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.